0: Uh, I do have one question. Can you zoom into Boulder County and show us where it's split? Uh, this is <clears throat> to keep it. Um, so keeping Jeffco whole, this is Broomfield. and then going into. So
1: Boulder. I spent some hours this week trying to follow the work of the Congressional Redistricting Commission. And I think you can agree it is not the most riveting listening.
0: So this is Boulder. And obviously, all these squigglies kind of get into... Um, You know, this is part of Boulder that kind of flag pulls out.
1: I had it on in the background while I made zucchini bread late at night. I got my office cleaned out for like the first time in a year. And I've got to tell you that trying to listen to people draw maps in real time at a very detailed level is tough.
0: We are at the point here where Colorado's congressional map is still being negotiated, but we're closer to that finish line. This is all happening in real time, bit by bit, over Zoom by 12 volunteers. And even if we can't quite follow everything they're doing, we're going to try to make it make sense. This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and for as long as it takes, redistricting. I'm Benta Berkland, and my co pilot this episode is actually CPR's public affairs editor, Megan Verlee. So happy to have you here.
1: It's kind of exciting to, to have the mic in front of me turned on for once. Uh, yeah, we temporarily lost Andy and Lynn to leave for various reasons. They're all good reasons, uh, but it does mean that I will be doing my best to fill in here.
0: You're normally the mastermind behind the scenes, so now we're going to have you in front of the scenes here, so that'll be fun. So the Independent Redistricting Commission has until Tuesday, September 28th, to settle on a congressional map that enough of the commissioners agree with to send to the state Supreme Court.
1: That all-important threshold is eight out of 12 commissioners, including at least two of
0: the unaffiliated ones. And if they can't quite get there... Yeah, then the final staff map, which is drawn by nonpartisan staffers, is what gets submitted to the state Supreme Court. So in this episode of Purplish, we're talking about how the redistricting process is going so far, where things stand here at the 11th hour.
1: We're taping this on the morning of Thursday, September 22nd. And I am pretty sure, uh, in fact, I'm pretty worried things will have changed by the time you hear it. But a lot of the information in here is going to be important all the way up to the finish line. Throughout this season of Purplish, we've been really trying to capture why redistricting matters and and who it matters to. But at this stage in the process, it feels like it's really time to talk about process Mm -hmm. uh, and how the commission is really actually doing the grueling work of trying to settle on a final map.
0: Yeah. And so the last time we talked about redistricting maps on purplish, we focused on the first staff plan and it had just come out. That map really got everyone in the political world talking because it envisioned a pretty different way to draw the state's congressional seats compared to what we have right now. So it created this Southern Colorado congressional district and then when you do that, it caused other things to shift, and that map actually split up parts of the western slope.
1: Exactly. And now, after lots more debate and lots of test maps being drawn, it feels like the commission sort of has two paths that can go down. Uh, it could go with this very radically redrawn southern district map. Mm-hmm. I have a printout of it here. This one's actually suggested by one of the commissioners that takes the whole southern part of the state into one district, but then the eastern plains and the western slope get split up Uh, Mm -hmm. and get a lot more front-range votes in them. So that would be a really big difference from what there is now. Uh, The other vision, which I have also printed out, looks a lot more like the current congressional map and would be a more, uh, I think, conservative uh, approach, not politically, Uh but like just in terms of not radically redrawing things. And, you know, commissioners are to the point where they're going to have to pick one or another of these visions.
0: And one of the big issues that, These maps bring up is how do you represent rural Colorado? Because there is not enough population for some of these rural areas to be separated entirely from more urban places. And so, where do you add that population and how do you add that population? How does that shift the political makeup and the communities of interest?
1: Uh, You know, I just kind of find it crazy. We are less than a week from the committee's final deadline, and it doesn't feel like they have fully coalesced yet. They're still Debating some pretty fundamental questions,
0: yeah, and that's something Commissioner Lori Shell spoke about during a recent commission hearing. She's one of the four unaffiliated commissioners.
1: It would be great if we could target all of our amendments to one map. But that may be impossible, but I'm 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 putting it out there so that we can try and manage the chaos manage the chaos. I think that is <laughs> probably exactly what they're all trying desperately to do right now. And I really like what you're hearing from her gets back to what we said at the beginning, which is just how like complicated this process is. You've got a dozen people in little Zoom windows, mm-hmm. plus a bunch of staff. They're all looking at sort of these screen share presentations of little tiny map lines and little areas and, and trying to sort out Really conflicting things like, do you prioritize keeping the Roaring Fork Valley together? And if you do that, where does that push the lines over here? Yeah, uh, and, and of course they're all trying to do this while following Robert's rules of order, which is even even harder.
0: I have to admit, and it's hard saying this to my editor, that I have not had time to watch everything the commission's been doing. I am totally okay with that. You know, if you are able to follow every meeting, I think you can see that transparency is a a major part of what these independent commissions are supposed to provide. The communication they're having uh, among various commissioners is supposed to occur in public.
1: Which is sort of fascinating if you realize that in this state until now, and
0: in pretty much every state that's not using a commission. Mm -hmm. Which are the majority of states. It's state lawmakers drawing these lines.
1: Exactly. And they're doing it behind closed doors with input from party officials to maximize party advantage while not looking like they're maximizing party advantage. And so all this stuff that that used to happen in secret is happening in these meetings. Now, different motives. They're trying to, Mm -hmm. to match the constitutional criteria, which do not favor partisan advantage. It's really different to watch people have to do this in public instead of just popping up and being like, "Okay, here's our map."
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even though when state legislatures are doing it, they could take public input, that's kind kind of baked into this process and. You know, I I definitely have gotten a better sense of how people living in different parts of Colorado view their community in relation to, you know, who they feel like they're affiliated with and how they define kind of their sense of place. We get to see that in some of the public comments.
1: Benda, you've been covering Colorado forever. So I'm curious, like, what did you learn about Colorado from this process that
0: you didn't know? I would say that, I mean... No, nothing radical that we didn't anticipate. You know that you know Fort Collins may not want to be with Weld County, and Northwest Colorado doesn't want to be with Boulder in a district. But I do think that I just kind of reiterated and learned there are just so many different ways to group people together beyond maybe the most obvious communities of interest. And so I I think the commissioners do have a tough job because there is absolutely no way to make everyone happy.
1: It's interesting when you talk about communities of interest. I'm going to sneak in that, that one that I'm a little fascinated by is one of the maps purports to be a headwaters map to, like, break up the state by river basins, Mm. which is not a community of interest that gets talked about a lot. But putting on my nerd hat here, I think John Wesley Powell actually said that's how political lines should be drawn in the West. So, Mm. you know, I mean, that's kind of what's fascinating about this, right, is, like, these guys get to decide what they think is an important community of interest, but then they have to convince other commissioners to join on, and they don't always.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think part of it, not that it comes from ulterior motives to benefit one party or the other, but certainly people who are advocating. I mean, this is a political process, right? So which community interest are you focusing on and how does that benefit you? And there was one part during a hearing where commissioners were going through all the public comments and uh, one person had separated them into just different categories and themes. And it was really helpful, actually. And were looking at which comments were maybe more form letters using the same language and who they were coming from. And they were deciding how to value those comments, you know, whether it's more organic or part of an organized campaign.
1: That really goes back to some reporting you did early in this about the lobbying efforts that these commissioners have to try and figure out what is a concerted effort with a partisan lean and what is like an organic community that is trying to speak up for itself. How are they, how are they trying to parse that?
0: I think that if, if things are coming from individuals, I don't think they're trying to say, you know, it's less valuable if you're a member of the Democratic or Republican Party and someone reaches out to you, you know, you're a, a volunteer, you're really engaged. And It's like, hey, here's some language we're suggesting people use. And you're like, OK, sure, you may agree with that. Someone suggested it to you, but... That's what you support anyway. So I don't think they're trying to say, you know, that's less valuable than if a person just came up with that on their own, interesting. Well,
1: we're nerding out on the process and all of that. But I'm guessing that a lot of people listening really just have one overarching question, which is also the overarching question for the political minds in the state, which is when this is over, how many Republicans and how many Democrats will Colorado send to Congress?
0: Yeah. And <laughs> I think you're right. that's that's top of mind for us locally and nationally. and One of the kind of frustrating things about watching the redistricting process is when commissioners propose amendments and changes to maps, there's a delay before that information is available about what it does to the political makeup, like how competitive a district is. The commission is required to consider competitiveness, but it's not one of the the top things they have to consider. So it falls lower on the list when they meet all this other criteria.
1: Although when you listen to them, I think they talk about competitiveness quite a bit more than its profile in the list of criteria, which is Uh kind of interesting. Like, they're clearly thinking about, well, how many competitive districts would there be in this map versus that map? And then there's like a lag time before they even know really what they're talking about. Uh, I I watched one of these moments play out pretty late at night in one of their meetings where a Democratic commissioner has been really pushing his version of the map and one of the Republicans pushed right back at him.
0: The problem with Commissioner DeFoy's plan is it makes all of the previously conservative districts competitive and further solidifies the ones that are not conservative. That is the epitome of partisan gerrymandering.
1: You can bet my ears perked up when I heard one commissioner accuse another of partisan gerrymandering, and sure enough, Commissioner Tafoya, the Democrat, was very upset with that characterization.
0: For him to accuse me of be of gerrymandering, that is absolutely offensive, and for him to say that this is that he wants these two things to be quote unquote competitive before
1: communities of interest, before anything in the Constitution, that is that is problematic. And what came next from this is this moment that captures like how much stress they're under, how difficult it probably is to work across party lines on this, and all the things that like they're balancing with each of these maps. Hey, 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 both of
0: you. Hello, hello, hello. It's offensive. Hello. I'd ask for you as chair to actually recognize that we could not be making those accusations to anybody And And that that is what my commission, Commissioner Leone, I will apologize to Commissioner Defoya if he believed that the comment was personal. It was not.
1: That was Commissioner Hare, the the woman you heard speaking there who does chair the the commission. She's unaffiliated and clearly at times tempers run high after hours and hours and hours of meetings.
0: Mm -hmm. They are under these time constraints. And I think we all know when you have the deadline, that's when they have to get the work done. Not that they haven't been working really hard on it, but when you have that fast stop It kind of makes it real that they've got to come up with something really soon.
1: And what you hear from them also is a real understanding that they are the first commission to do this. And if they don't get to that supermajority and they just let a staff map go to the state Supreme Court, I think they'll feel that they failed. They carry that weight on their shoulders. And I think it will play out a lot in these final discussions and how much people are potentially willing to compromise with each other that they really want to be able to put their stamp on a map.
0: Yeah. And the next few days, we'll find that out. Um, over the weekend, they'll be offering their amendments. And then a couple days later is when they'll get a chance to vote on amendments to maps. And I think you're right. I was talking to one of the supporters of this new process who worked on the campaign to get voters to approve it. And he said that not that it would be a failure, but I mean, the goal is not to have a staff plan be the final plan. The nonpartisan staff doesn't want that. The commission doesn't want that. So I, I do think personally that they will come together on something with a supermajority.
1: Well, the next time you see us in your podcast feeds, I suspect we will be coming to you with an answer to whether or not that happened. That's it
0: for this episode. We'll be back in your feed soon with more of our deep dive on all things redistricting. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague, Megan Verlee. This is Purplish from CPR News.